Welcome to the Littler Workplace Policy Institute podcast. Insider briefings on the latest legislative and regulatory developments affecting employers. Hello, I'm Corinne Jackson, Special Counsel of Workplace Policy and Analytics with Littler Mendelssohn's Workplace Policy Institute, or WPI. And I'm Bruce Sarchet, a Littler shareholder in Sacramento, California, and also a member of the WPI. Bruce, it's been a while since we've tried to wrap our heads around the latest and greatest legislative developments in our beloved home state. Yes, it has. The California legislature has been in session for a few months since January, but things happen so quickly out here in the Wild West. So true. The California legislature is like the ocean, right? Never turn your back on it for too long. Always good advice, no joke. At this point in the year, California lawmakers are about halfway through their legislative session. And those legislators are considering bills that carried over from last year, as well as bills they proposed in the current year. Yes, that's right. In California, the legislative sessions cover both years, two years in a row. A flurry of bills were introduced in February of this year on top of the bills that remain from 2017. So how many bills are we talking about here, Bruce? Well, there are thousands of bills on various topics that have been proposed since the 1718 session began. More than 5,000, actually. And how many of those relate to labor and employment matters? I would guess easily 200 of those bills touch on some aspect of labor and employment law. Although many, especially those proposed last year, may have already died in committee or on Governor Brown's desk. That is certainly true, although some older bills are still kicking around in Sacramento. All in all, by our count, roughly 50 bills concerning labor and employment remain under consideration in the California legislature. And what's the status of those 50? Are they all really serious contenders? Well, they can't all be serious contenders. As Schoolhouse Rock taught us, it's pretty hard for a bill to actually become a law, even in the Wild West. Nonetheless, a few bills already passed at least one house of the legislature or a chamber committee. Now, I know we can't cover all of the labor and employment proposals that are now before the state legislature in this podcast, but let's try to highlight some of the trends we are seeing so far. What do you think is the most noticeable trend so far this year, Corinne? Not surprisingly, in light of the Me Too movement and its genesis here in California, there is a wave of bills relating to sexual harassment. No less than eight proposals are pending on that general topic. Now, two of these bills would broaden existing obligations for anti-harassment training. Generally speaking, current law requires employers with 50 or more employees to provide anti-harassment training to supervisory personnel. SB 1343, now pending in the California legislature, would extend this duty to employers with five or more employees and would require training not just for supervisors, but for all employees. On a related note, SB 1300 would extend the training requirement to those same smaller employers, but only for supervisory staff. On the other hand, SB 1300 includes additional provisions that go much, much further. Among other things, it would preclude employers from requiring employees to release claims under the state's Fair Employment and Housing Act. It would ban agreements that would prevent an employee from disclosing information about unlawful conduct in the workplace. 
SB 1300 also would deprive prevailing defendant employers from recovering fees and costs in civil actions unless it was shown that the action was frivolous, unreasonable, or totally without foundation. Either bill would dramatically change anti-harassment obligations for California businesses. Both are currently under Senate committee review. Now, aside from SB 1300, the legislature is definitely taking aim at non-disclosure agreements, or NDAs, specifically in the harassment context. Employers sometimes like to include NDAs as part of a settlement package with employees. NDAs may require, for example, that an employee keep confidential all negotiations and the terms or even the existence of the settlement. That's right. Restriction of the use of NDAs is definitely a hot topic across the country. To that end, SBA 20 would invalidate any provision in a settlement agreement that prevents the disclosure of facts related to claims of sexual assault, sexual harassment, or sex discrimination. NDA language would be permissible only if requested by the claimant. A similar bill, AB 3080, approaches NDA language from another angle. It would preclude employers from requiring workers to agree, as a condition of employment, not to disclose any incidents of sexual harassment that the individual might experience, witness, or discover. Yes, and AB 3080 also attacks arbitration agreements. It would ban any requirement that applicants or employees waive their rights under the California FIHA, Fair Employment and Housing Act, including the right to file a civil lawsuit. Okay, so far we've got some bills addressing training and other bills seeking to restrict reliance on NDAs or arbitration agreements. So what else is percolating that theoretically might help prevent sexual harassment? Well, one bill, AB 1867, would obligate employers that have at least 50 employees to maintain records of employee complaints about sexual harassment for 10 years. According to proponents, AB 1867 would help expose repeat offenders and ensure that businesses take harassment complaints seriously. Another noteworthy option, AB 2770, would allow employers, in a reference check, for example, to disclose whether or not they would rehire a current or former employee. Moreover, employers acting without malice may reveal whether a decision not to retain or rehire someone is because that individual engaged in sexual harassment. The intent of this bill also appears to be to expose offenders and perhaps interfere with their ability to transfer their harassing conduct to a new workplace. Our last two bills in this series, that's right, we're not done yet, there's two more to go, focus more on assistance for the targets of prohibited and unlawful sexual harassment. AB 2366 would broaden the existing law that provides time off from work for victims of domestic violence, sexual assault, or stalking. AB 2366 would include in that list now victims of sexual harassment. It would prohibit discrimination against employees who take time off work to seek relief for themselves by perhaps getting counseling when they are a victim of sexual harassment. 
And finally, we come to AB 3081. Okay, that sounds a little ominous, dare I ask? Too late, Bruce. Hold on to your cowboy hat, because <laughs> AB 3081 swings for the fences. Corinne, are you just mixing metaphors? It's scaring me. It's just that AB 3081 is sort of the whole ball of wax. And what does that expression even mean? I don't know, but I'll tell you what AB 3081 means. This bill combines a few of the concepts we've already talked about. So it's got a training element? Yep. It would require employers with more than 25 employees to train all non-supervisory employees when hired and every two years thereafter on how to identify, prevent, and report sexual harassment. Under AB 3081, employees must also receive written notice with specific information about sexual harassment. Correct. The proposal also includes a non-discrimination component. Employers cannot discriminate or retaliate against workers because of their status as victims of harassment. And here is where AB 3081 starts to deviate from the other bills. In addition to those provisions, the bill also would lengthen the statute of limitations for an employee to file a harassment complaint with the California Division of Labor Standards Enforcement, or DLSE. That's right. The bill provides claimants with three years to submit a complaint of sexual harassment as opposed to the current one year currently provided. The bill also may make it easier for plaintiffs to demonstrate retaliatory conduct by an employer. In particular, AB 3081 would create a rebuttable presumption of unlawful retaliation if an employer takes certain actions within 90 days of an employee's complaint. So, if an employer decides to suspend or demote an employee within 90 days of his or her harassment complaint, that is considered evidence that the adverse decision was retaliation? You got it. There's actually a cool legal term for this. It's called temporal proximity. In other words, how close in time does something occur? Usually, temporal proximity is determined on a case-by-case basis. This bill would change all of that, creating a rebuttable presumption of sufficient temporal proximity, like using that phrase, if the act occurs within 90 days. And you were right, AB 3081 covers a lot of ground. Do other bills include changes to the statutes of limitations for harassment or discrimination claims? Yes. AB 1870 actually would expand the statute of limitations up to three years for all violations of the California FIHA. Meanwhile, AB 2946 would significantly increase the time limit for employees to file discrimination or discharge claims before the labor commissioner. It would give workers three years rather than six months under current law to file a complaint with the DLSE. So, we've talked a lot already about measures intended to curb sexual harassment. Corinne, would you like to tell our attentive listeners about other California bills that concern employment discrimination? I would, Bruce. One proposal, AB 2069, would prohibit discrimination against and require reasonable accommodation of medical marijuana users with certain exceptions. Another bill, AB 1938, 
would make it unlawful to ask non-job-related questions to employees or applicants about their familial status. There are also a couple proposals, SB 937 and AB 1976, addressing accommodations in the workplace for nursing mothers. The California legislature is also considering a new pay data reporting requirement applicable to employers with 100 or more employees that theoretically seeks to alleviate lingering pay gaps between men and women, as well as earning disparities based on race and ethnicity. Hey, wait, that sounds familiar. Yes, indeed. SB 1284 will sound eerily familiar to employers that are required to submit EEO-1 reports to the EEOC. Oh, my. I see where this is going. Okay, Bruce, let's start with the backstory. The EEO-1 report is an annual report filed by certain employers to the EEOC. It includes a breakdown of the number of employees by job category that fall within certain protected classes, race, ethnicity, and gender. And in 2016, the federal EEOC announced that it would start collecting employee pay data in the EEO-1 report as well, in addition to that uh, demographic data that Corinne just mentioned. That change would have required employers to disclose the total number of employees by demographic categories in each of 12 pay bands listed for each EEO-1 job category, along with the number of hours worked that year by all employees accounted for in each pay band. But then, under the new administration, the EEOC announced last year that it was rethinking this plan. Yes. Apparently, while the EEOC reconsiders the scope of the federal EEO-1 report, the California Senate has moved to institute that pay reporting requirement on its own. SB 1284 would impose this pay data reporting element on California employers with 100 or more employees, with the first report becoming due in September of 2019. So it seems this bill is currently under committee review in the Senate. Alrighty then, what else should employers know about the ongoing legislative session? What about PAGA? There is always some kind of buzz around the California Private Attorneys General Act. Yes, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about PAGA again. Well, what's the scoop? Well, three employer-friendly bills concerning PAGA that could have carried over and advanced this year are now officially dead. And while two new proposals were more recently introduced, AB 2016 and AB 2907, both seem to be floundering and may not be able to make it out of committee. Got it. So will we see any substantive amendments to PAGA this legislative session? Well, we will just have to wait and see, but I wouldn't count it out just yet. In the meantime, I've got a live one to discuss, and this one may sound familiar. Fire when ready, Corinne. You may remember that last year, Governor Brown vetoed a bill that would have amended the California Home Care Services Consumer Protection Act, which governs the licensing and registration of home care organizations. That bill would have required the Department of Social Services to share some information that it keeps on its registry of home care aides and applicants. Sure, I remember this one. The bill would have required the department to disclose certain personal contact information about home aides 
to labor unions upon request. But the governor vetoed the bill because he was concerned that aides would join the registry without knowing that this information could be subject to disclosure. You've got it. Well, the home care worker disclosure rule is back. AB 2455 essentially resurrects the proposal shot down by the governor last year. It provides that for any new registration or renewal occurring on or after January 1st, 2019, the department must share a home aide's name, phone number, and cell phone number with a labor organization upon request. Yes, and like its predecessor, AB 2455 requires the department to establish a simple opt-out procedure for aides so they can request that their information remain private if they like. AB 2455 is still early in the committee phase, though, so we will see if it goes anywhere. In any event, AB 2455 faces an uphill climb. Californians will elect a new governor in November, but Governor Brown will still be in office for the remainder of this session and could veto this bill again if it reaches his desk. Good point. Bruce, we've already covered a lot of topics, but we haven't addressed any wage and hour issues. Are there any noteworthy bills touching on that subject? Well, one bill that seems to be hanging on from last year is AB 1565, which would affect the salary threshold for executive, administrative, and professional employees so that they could qualify as exempt from overtime under state law. As with federal law, California employers are not required to pay overtime to individuals who qualify for the so-called white-collar exemptions. One of the requirements for the exemption is that workers earn a certain salary level. Under federal law, for example, that figure is $455 per week. And although that number was scheduled to increase in 2016, that change at the federal level has been postponed pending further review by the U.S. Department of Labor. So the California legislature, yet again, decided to try and move forward with a similar type of change at the state level, given the federal inaction. If enacted, AB 1565 would add a specific monthly salary level of $3,956 to the exemption test, that's $989 a week, along with the existing threshold of no less than two times the state minimum wage. Accordingly, workers performing white collar tasks would be entitled to overtime unless they earn a monthly salary exceeding one of those amounts, whichever is larger. All that being said, AB 1565 may not amount to a hill of beans. Because the California exemption test is tied to the state minimum wage, and because that minimum wage is scheduled to increase each year, AB 1565, if enacted, would essentially become meaningless in 2020. It is unclear whether AB 1565 can muster enough support to proceed through the Senate in light of this fuller picture. Uh, AB 1099 is another leftover from last year that clings to life, though perhaps in name only. This bill would alter how gig economy and other businesses accept and pay tips to workers. AB 1099 requires entities that permit payment for services by credit or debit card to accept those forms of payment for payment of tips. 
This proposal, too, faces a bumpy road. It attracted stiff opposition, and Governor Brown vetoed similar legislation in 2016. And even the newer bills may fail to gain traction. One such prospect is AB 2482. Yes. This bill would permit non-exempt employees to request a flexible work schedule, allowing them to work 10-hour workdays within a 40-hour work week. And while normally a 10-hour day would require payment of overtime in California, this proposal eliminates that obligation. But very similar bills have failed at the committee stage in recent years, which doesn't bode well for AB 2482. Nope, not a great sign, though you can never rule anything out in the Golden State. You got that right. As another example, the Senate last year passed a measure, SB 562, that would institute universal single-payer health care called the Healthy California Program. It would establish a cost control system, benefit all state residents, and allow private employers to offer only additional services not covered by the program. SB 562 did not make much headway in the assembly thus far, but it's still there. Well, the California legislature is nothing if not ambitious. Indeed. Well, Corinne, I think we need to wrap it up before we overstay our welcome. We've covered a wide range of topics, and I hope it's been interesting for our listeners. Absolutely. Thank you all for tuning in. We will continue to monitor important legislative developments, and we will report back on any notable progress. So stay tuned to Littler's Workplace Policy Institute for further updates and information regarding state and local workplace regulatory and legislative developments. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.